Live podcast presents History for the Future. Lessons from a Ravonia trialist. This month marks 30 years since most of the Ravonia trialists were released from prison. Nelson Mandela would only walk out of Victor Fassin prison on the 11th of February 1990. One of the last two surviving members of that Ravonia trial is Andrew Mlangeni. He was so angry with me when I was arrested. He said, that noise that these cars were making, and you couldn't hear a thing. He was very angry. I said, I didn't hear a thing. I just came and slept. In this episode, he recounts the story of his life to journalist Pippa Green and how he traveled back to South Africa in the face of mounting tension in South Africa. On his way back from China at the end of 1962, Andrew Mlangeni fell ill in Tanzania. Oliver Tambo told him he could not go back to South Africa in that state, although his other comrades, Raymond Mflaba, Wilton Mackay, Joe Kabi and Patrick Mtembu had already returned. There had also already been one Mkonto Wesiswa casualty at home since the military arm of the ANC was launched in December 1961. Tensions in the country were rising. Mlangeni thought he had a problem with his nerves, manifesting as a sharp pain running down his neck. The local doctors were not qualified enough to treat him, so Tambo suggested he go to a hospital in Prague, which he was about to do until he met one of his compatriots. And when I told him about this problem, he says, you know what, I once had a similar problem, pain running here down my neck, and they were saying it's a huge thing, I needed to do an operation, etc., etc., and he says, you know what it turned out to be? A toothache. He says, it turned out to be a toothache. Go and have your teeth examined and see if it's not a nerve toothache. I went to the hospital. I arranged with Tenson Makiwani, who was our main fellow there. Take me to the hospital, the dentist. My dear, it turned out to be a toothache. <laughs> turned out to be a toothache. I was treated, the pain was gone. We told OR, he was surprised. They nearly sent me back to Prague, Czechoslovakia, for a toothache. So he returned to Johannesburg and became a member of the National High Command. Mandela was already in prison on another charge, and his immediate comrades included Walter Sisulu, Arthur Goldreich, Wilton McQuay, Governor Mbeki and Dennis Goldberg, and the three men who he'd been in China with, Joe Kabi, Patrick Mtembu, and Raymond Mklaba. He assumed the disguise of a priest, Reverend Moketi Mokwena, to enable him to travel around the country to organize. He made some blunders, though, according to his biographer, Mandla Matabula, such as when he stayed with a real priest and began eating without saying grace, or when he lit a cigarette. He recruited scores of people for training in MK, including Bruno Mtolo, who was eventually to turn state witness in the Ravonia trial. He had evaded the police since his return from China, but then he made a fatal error. We used to have our meetings on Monday evenings, and on Monday evenings I would then drive the car, drop Mtembu, who stays there in Dube, and Joe Gabi in Mufolo, and then come to my house. Although we're not supposed to be sleeping in our houses, but it was so unfortunate that that day I slept here at home because in the morning I was going to get up and pick up some chaps 
who came from Cape Town, who were going out for military training, was supposed to pick them up in Krugersdorp. So I think that's the reason why I slept here at home. On the 24th of June, 1963. I spoke to him in the same house in Dube where he was arrested. The living room was then his bedroom. It was just before 12 midnight because the last mutualeli was already arrested. He was picked up at uh, White City, Jababu, Mzumklope. Not Jababu, Mzumklope. And he says the police were running up and down here the whole night looking for my place. And uh, they couldn't find it. But ultimately, he found, they found the place. They say, he said there were about 12 cars running up and down here. He was so angry with me when I was arrested. He says, that noise that these cars were making, and you couldn't hear a thing. He was very angry. I said, I didn't hear a thing. I just came and slept. When they came in, I don't know how they came in. Next thing, they opened this. I just saw a torchlight in my face. And they say, we are police. What is your name? I said, who are you looking for? I was still lying in bed with my wife. Who are you looking for? They said, what is your name? I said, who are you looking for? My jacket was hanging over the chair. Someone went to the chapel and took up my, my ID. He says, Andrew Mlangeni, that's the man we are looking for. He said, get up. And uh, put their arm on my shoulder and say, you are under arrest. I said, oh, 90 days. They said, oh, you know 90 days. Eh? And uh, the chap from uh, Bordenhays, from uh, Zerast. You see, they used police from outside uh, to arrest us here because they said the Johannesburg Police Special Branch failed in the treason trial. So they got police from outside to come and look for us. That is why they didn't even know where this house was. And uh, I was thirsty. My throat went dry. And I said to my wife, my dear, can you please get me a glass of water? They said to me, next time when you want to talk to your wife, you must get our permission. I said, get permission from you to talk to my wife? They said, yes. It was too late already. I had already asked her to give me a glass of water. <laughs> she got up and proposed, hey, police? Special branch, the dogs, pigs. So that's how I was arrested. He had expected to be arrested and prepared his wife, June, for a six-year sentence. There was wrong, my dear. It was life. You know, when we are sentenced to life in prison, in, in court, people would say, what is life? What is life? What is life? He said, life means life, you will die in prison. <laughs> it would be another 26 years before he saw his home again. Oddly, Mlangeni and Elias Motswaledi were first charged in connection with a group known as the Zerust Group, whom they had intended on helping escape the country for military training. One of those arrested in this case was the then 21-year-old Jacob Zuma. But because neither Mlangeni nor Motswaledi had actually been there, they were acquitted after three court appearances. But their lawyer, George Bezos, told them they were going to face new charges with the Ravonia group. They wanted to cut your necks twice, and now they realize they can't do it with this case. The media in general was saying 
that were terrorists who were planning to overthrow the government violently and that we should not expect any mercy from anybody because we were trying to overthrow a legal government as far as we were concerned. The death penalty would be the only sentence that is... Uh, the same day they were acquitted, they were re-arrested under the 90-day law. South Africa is the richest country in Africa and could be one of the richest countries in the world. But it is a land of extremes and remarkable countries. The whites enjoy what may well be the highest standard of living in the world, whilst Africans live in poverty and misery. Poverty goes hand in hand with malnutrition and disease. The incidence of malnutrition and deficiency diseases is very high amongst Africans. The incidence of infant mortality is one of the highest in the world. The lack of human dignity experienced by Africans is the direct result of the policy of white supremacy. White supremacy implies black inferiority. Legislation designed to preserve white supremacy entrenches this notion. I have dedicated my life to this struggle of the African people. I have fought against white domination and I have fought against black domination. I have cherished the idea of a democratic and free society in which all persons will live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. It is an idea for which I hope to live for and to see realized. But my Lord, if it needs be, it is an idea for which I am prepared to die. The Rivonia trial itself began in October 1963. Mlangeni had by then been in detention, mainly in solitary confinement, for more than three months. Eleven people were originally charged. Nelson Mandela, who was already serving a prison sentence, was accused number one. Another was Bob Heppel, who, as he himself recounts in Essay History Online, was released when he agreed to become a state witness, but he fled the country before he could give evidence. So 11 were left. 
Although the charge was not high treason but sabotage, they had prepared themselves for a possible death sentence. How pessimistic was Mlangeni? The media in general was saying that we were terrorists who were planning to overthrow the government violently and that we should not expect any mercy from anybody because we were trying to overthrow a legal government as far as we were concerned. The death penalty would be the only sentence that is uh, suitable. Even their lawyers at a stage lost hope. They said, just expect the West. This is a very serious case. We should expect the West. <clears throat> but later on, things changed. Even our lawyers changed uh, later on when they, they, they then felt that some of us will probably need to not hang, but others will hang. They mentioned Madiba, Sisulu, and possibly Begi, Governor Begi. They said those three are sure to hang. They were of the opinion that there was very little evidence against Kathrada mm-hmm. and Raymond Saba. And these might be acquitted, but Alas Mutaledi and myself will be sentenced. We'll serve a couple of years from 12 upwards. Although one of the men who'd been to China with Mlangeni, Mtembu, gave evidence for the state, his military training there did not feature at all in the trial. It would have destroyed their evidence against me. What they had compiled yeah. against me would have gone against the point that I was in China. You see, they took everything that Joe Mudisi did and put all that on me on me and said those are the things that were done by me. By that time Joe Mudisi was safely out of the country. I could also not say I was in China when these things happened. I couldn't say that. All I said was that I was in Botswana, in Francis Town, where I was helping my mother in law to look after her cattle, etc., etc. And the judge, in fact, said, well, the fact that you are in Botswana did not stop you from now and then crossing into South Africa, doing something, and then driving back to Botswana. That was what the judge said. As the trial proceeded, most of them began to think that they would not get the ultimate penalty. But there were grave concerns about Mandela, Sisulu and Mbaki. When the sentence was handed down to, oh, to on us, it was a relief, a great relief, uh, because nobody was sentenced to death. We were very happy. It was a relief because we, we were happy that nobody was sentenced to death mm. and that we all received the same sentence. Life imprisonment. Although some were wildly optimistic about the time they would spend in jail, Elias Motswiledi, for instance, thought they'd spend about five years there. All of them were convinced they would not die in prison. What gave them strength? Our conviction, my dear. We're convinced that we're not going to die in prison. 
that we are going to serve long term of imprisonment, but to die in prison is not a possibility. The the pressure from the international community and our the activities of our people in the country, and also the fact that MK continued with uh, its activities. Those are the things which gave us strength. And our conviction, of course, that uh, we are not going to, we're not going to die in prison. That was Andrew Mlangani, and I'm Pippa Green. In the next part, Mlangani tells of the harsh conditions in prison they suffered for years, and then how things eventually began to change. This podcast was researched and compiled by journalist Pippa Green. Additional readings from the book The Backroom Boy, Andrew Mlangeni's story, were done by the author of that book, Mantla Matebule. That book is available online via the big retailers and witspress.co.za. The podcast was edited and packaged by me, Jean-Michel. And for more interesting podcasts, please visit lifepodcast.fm and subscribe. History for the future. Lessons from a Rivonia trialist is presented by Live Podcasts. For more of great radio and podcast content, visit livepodcasts.fm.